0: Alrighty, so I want to carry on um, in the, the second half of what I was going to share last week, but I actually kind of chopped it in half, and, and look at what it is for us to be set free, to be faithful, and to be fruitful, okay? And we looked at that last week, and, and we understand, you know, I'm sure of all of us, if we're following Jesus, our, when it really all boils down to it, you know, our heart is that we want to say yes to Jesus, like, we want to be faithful. Right? We recognise, we can see that biblical call to be generous, to be faithful with our finances. And I'm sure all of us will be like, yeah, I want to do that. And we understand as well the amazing promises of God, that actually he would bless us and that we'd be fruitful. And again, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, I want to be that too. But there is, the reality is sometimes there's stuff that holds us back. And so um, we've been looking at these two questions. Actually, what holds us back? Where do we get stuck? And so we looked at some ways we can sometimes get muddled up with being stuck in a little bit of a poverty-minded sort of way of thinking that's I can't afford to be generous or prideful and greedy way of thinking which is well I don't really want to because it's mine Um, so this looking actually how can we get free and we looked last week at understanding one of the questions we need to have firmly answered and fixed is who am I? And actually, our identity as sons and daughters is central to everything we do. And in in our finances, as much as anything, actually, for me to be really sure that I have a generous, faithful father who will provide, that I am a deeply loved daughter with an inheritance, like, that stuff needs to be really set. But from that point, there's this second question of, well, what am I doing? If that is who I am, how is my thinking, my behaviour, specifically in this area of my finances, how does that line up with, actually, this new nature that I have As a daughter. Now, I think that first question needs settling first. Who am I? And I think we need to keep coming back, which is why it's so beautiful just to have some time and space for Holy Spirit just to remind us, to convince us, persuade us once again, no, you're loved, you're mine. Um, But out of that place, you know, if our identity, our position as sons and daughters is sure is fixed, then our behaviour has to change. It's about living from that place. And so when when I'm saying, listen, what am I doing? What are you doing? It's not in order to become something. It's not to get accepted by God. You're already accepted by him. But as a result, what are you doing? What does that look like? And so you know, from this you know, position of being born again into a family as sons and daughters, the journey then is growing up. It's the goal for everything we're doing is, who are we becoming? You know, and we're called to become mature unto all the fullness of Jesus, That's the journey. And the process is is sanctification. That's the biblical term for it. Actually, this process, this journey of becoming made like Jesus, transformed from glory to glory. And it's lifelong and it keeps going. Um, But that journey of maturity and, and sanctification applies just as much to my bank balance, to my possessions, to wealth, as much as any other area of my life. I need to grow and become mature in that area of my life. And it needs to look like Jesus. That's the goal. So I want to look at that, um, that journey of sanctification, specifically in the context of our finances. So if you've got your Bibles, um, Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, for me is just a brilliant few verses that give us like a a three-step explanation of sanctification. Actually, what does it mean? What does it look like? Because it's, listen, there is nothing in the Bible that gives you and I a get out for being passive Christians that I just sit back and Holy Spirit will suddenly make me like Jesus when he wants to. It's 100% the work in the spirit, but it's 100% me partnering and agreeing with him as well, right? There's no way we can get away with just sit back and you know I'm here if you need me, Jesus. That's not it. There's stuff that we need to do proactively. So let me read that, Ephesians 4. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Just that last phrase, that really jumps out at me. I was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we were created for. But there's a process for us to become that. And so if you, those, I think, if you boil it down, there are three parts to this journey that Paul highlights here. There's put off, there's change the way you're thinking, and there's put on, okay? So another language is stop doing that stuff, sort your attitude out, change what you're thinking about, change how you're thinking about things, and start doing that. So it's this is twofold, and the, the put off and the put on is you do that, right? That's not, like, God doesn't just do that on our behalf. We do that. You have to put that stuff off. You have to put that stuff on. That's, and that's the journey of sanctification. That's how we get to look more like Jesus, So if we're thinking, okay, finances, we're thinking in the context of money, let's look at that first part, put off things that are about your former way of life that don't line up now with the fact that you're created to be like God. So what are some of the things that we actively need to be putting off? Now, this isn't by any means an exhaustive list, but um, these are the things that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about, all right, finances, possessions, wealth, as sons and daughters, what stuff do we need to be putting off? So I would think jealousy. Jealousy towards those people who maybe have more than us or maybe have the thing that we really want. That, you know, Bible's massively clear. I couldn't, you know, we could have pulled out verses for all of these points, that that stuff isn't for us. So jealousy, we need to put it off. If jealousy towards people with more is not okay, neither is apathy towards those people with less, right? That's not good enough. I kind of shrug of the shoulders, oh well. Like, that's that's not you and I anymore. Resentment. Bitterness, greed, constantly wanting more and needing more and wanting the best and never satisfied. You've got to put that stuff off. But on the other hand, a resistance to being blessed. God wants to bless you. You know, we talked about actually some of the poverty minded thinking is actually we can get so uncomfortable and feel awkward and embarrassed about being blessed by God or allowing other people to bless us, which comes out of this. Honestly, it comes out of it, well, I'm not really worth it. It's like, listen, God says you are worth it. It's that poverty-minded thinking that means we need to be sure of who we are and therefore we behave differently as a result. How about being miserly or stingy? You know, really penny-pinching and, you know, towards other people. Or maybe even towards yourself, maybe towards your kids. Actually, this kind of constantly, I haven't, there isn't enough, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really stingy. But no, it's called to be generous. What about unbelief? Actually, I don't actually believe God's going to provide. I don't actually believe he wants to bless me. Ways of Unbelief is not for us. And we need to be proactively putting those things off. Because here's the bottom line. Those things don't suit you anymore because of who you are. Which is why it's so important that that first question we looked at last week is sure for us. Well, who am I? Okay, therefore, what do I need to be doing? What's the stuff that I need to put off? And you have an active choice to make in those areas. No one is going to make you do those things. You have to choose to put off those things and say, they do not suit me anymore. Let me give you an example of this. Who remembers shell suits? Come on, it's more of you than that. Who had a shell suit? Yes. Right. If you, some of you maybe weren't even alive in the late 80s. That was, kind of, that was the era, right? I mean, they are dreadful, aren't they? No, they are. Awful. Right, I was, I remember very clearly in my second year at high school, so I was 12, 13, ha- buying a shell suit. I remember going down to the sports shop in town with mum and buying an Etyril shell suit, which was a good one. Um, and I was devoted to it. I'm, I, can literally, I can picture it clearly. It was like lilac and sort of light minty green top with navy trousers. And I loved it. It was like, and me, so me and my school friends were well into our shell suits. We thought we were the bee's knees. So much so that when we went to school, we'd have the, the those awful baggy jackety bits. That would be our you'd coat. You'd have that on over your school uniform on the way into school. But we'd bring the trousers with us in our school bags. So every break time, every lunch time, those came on as well, and we would be in the full shell suit at break time. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Here's the thing. I made a decision at some point in my later teens... That does not suit me anymore. I am categorically going to put off that shell suit. Imagine if, if I still had it and I came to church in it this morning. Imagine. I don't have it. I did half think, have I got any photos anywhere of me in? so but I just thought, I can't go back there. I've hidden away all my photos of my teenage years. I don't ever want to see them ever again. <laughs> but anyway, listen, the analogy falls down a little bit because like that, actually that never suited me, I don't, that that ever, that doesn't suit anybody ever, in any decade, in any era, like that never suited me, but listen, what Paul is saying is your stuff from your old way of life, the way the world would have things be, that stuff does not suit you anymore, so you need to put that off, and not not put it off and kind of, you know, if I took my shell suit off and you know, leave it on the floor, and you kind of end up just keep tripping over it. And sometimes that's our approach with stuff. We're like, well, I know I, you know, I probably shouldn't be doing that anymore. And we take it off, but we leave it in range or under our feet, and we can end up tip, you know tripping up over it again. Or, you know, we, we hang it up in the wardrobe and think, well, you know, just... And it's there for temptation, as if I'd ever be tempted to wear that again. But you know what I'm saying? There's some stuff that you're like, I know... That isn't what I should be doing as a Christian, but it's still near enough that it's there either to trip over or be tempted to put back on again. What Paul is saying is listen, you were created to be like God in righteousness and holiness, completely, all of us. And so there's certain things that categorically don't suit us anymore, and we need to put them off. No one made me take that off. Now, I. my children would nowadays, Abby, would be like, mum, get that off. Like they would. But bottom line, it's my choice. It's your choice. No one is going to make you stop being greedy. No one's going to make you stop being apathetic towards the poor. No one's going to make you do those things. But because of who you are, you need to take responsibility to do that, and so do I. That's that first part of this journey of sanctification is, is put some stuff off. I want to just focus on a couple of those things in that list. I want to look at jealousy towards those who have more, and apathy towards those who have less. Because I think my heart response and my active engagement and, and the way I react and respond to those people with more than me and with less than me, I think is a very good indicator of my maturity level when it comes to finances. Yeah, that makes sense? I think that's, it's a good litmus test. Okay, how, where am I at with my finances? How mature am I in this area? All right, what's your attitude towards people with a lot more? What's your response to those with much less? It's a good check that we can keep coming back to. Because we understand, right, in, this, in the whole context of this series, guys, it's not fundraising, it's not a bless me club. It's understanding God wants us to be faithful. And when we're, he explicitly says in Luke 16, if you are faithful with worldly wealth, you'll be trusted with true spiritual riches, And that's what we want. Like, we want to influence lives. We want to influence workplaces. We want to see Manchester change. Like, that's the goal. So we need to figure out how to be faithful with finances. And I am convinced if we want to have influence wherever we show up, and if we want to, you know, as the church, have an influence in Manchester, we have got to figure out what does it look like to honour, respect, deeply value and care those people with an awful lot more than us, and those people with an awful lot less than us. We've got to get that stuff figured out. It's a really good test of our maturity. So what about you know, those people with you know, people who are really wealthy? We cannot land in the position that God doesn't like rich people. Rich people are evil are wrong. It's wrong to be wealthy. Like said, if you just read the Bible, if you look at the Old Testament, you know, some of the Old Testament patriarchs were extremely wealthy individuals: Solomon, Abraham, David extremely wealthy and they're like their fathers in the faith it's not wrong to be wealthy we can't make that link you know Paul says in 1 Timothy the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil money is not evil we've talked about that right and now I'm not saying I'm not either making the connection that you know all people are rich because they're you know profoundly godly and it's all blessed by God I'm not saying that clearly some people are very wealthy through very ungodly means and at the end of the day God is just and I believe he'll figure it out but there are spiritual principles that God has laid down. If you just read Proverbs, there's so much that it says about finances, about saving, about generosity, about being um, faithful with people you employ, about being diligent with your money. Listen, what if you know, people who maybe don't know the king but are running their businesses or their finances according to kingdom principles, not, not recognise that's what they're doing. They don't acknowledge the king, but they're living according to kingdom principles. Listen, they're going to reap the rewards of the kingdom. So I'm not saying everybody rich is godly, but I'm just saying some of them are there because they've been good stewards. They've got wisdom. And there's, there's stuff that you and I could probably learn, but if our position towards them is jealousy, resentment, you probably shouldn't have that, then we're wrong. It's not wrong to have, and listen, we need to understand, relatively speaking, you and I, even if we are living pretty much on the breadline in the UK, are in the top 10% of people on the planet in terms of wealth, okay? Even if you feel like I'm struggling to make ends meet, I'm not belittling that or minimizing that, but the reality is we have so much more than so very many people. We're very wealthy in comparison to some people, and I know there are other people who are very wealthy in comparison to us, but that's why comparison is an unhealthy thing. Listen, let me go back into 1 Timothy 6. I just want to hammer this point that being wealthy is not wrong. So, Paul is speaking to the rich. He says this command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So, he's not saying tell them they're wicked and evil and awful and they shouldn't have any of their stuff. He says God has richly provided for their enjoyment. But don't put their hope in it. Don't put their certainty in it. And then he goes on to say, command them, do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. And in this way, they'll lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's not wrong to have wealth. Okay. So we need jealousy and resentment towards those with more. We have to put that off. That's not for us. Neither should we be favouritism towards them. Like James is really clear about that, isn't it? He says we cannot show favouritism to someone who comes into your church who's super wealthy compared to someone who has very little. Listen, people's value is not determined by how much they have, okay? So our response to them cannot be determined by how much they have, okay? But it's not wrong to be rich. So jealousy, resentment towards those with a lot more, put it off. But also apathy towards those with much less, it's not good enough, to see people with material need and just mm, shrug a shoulder. You know, John says it, doesn't he, in his letters. If you see someone in need and say, oh, God bless you, all the best, keep warm. It's like, not good enough. There's got to be a response. We could spend a whole series looking on this, but let me say this simple statement. You and I, as God's children, have a responsibility towards the poor. Every single one of us. No wriggle room, no get out, we do. We have a responsibility towards them. You cannot read the Bible and escape God's heart for the poor and his expectation that his people will do something about it. Let me just read you a couple of verses. Proverbs 19, 17 says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. It's a good promise. Isaiah 58, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? Loose the cords of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not, to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, and when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh of blood. That's what God wants from us. We can have all you know, the best, we can fast and pray and have all the best worship services. God wants us to meet the needs of the poor. One last one, Deuteronomy 15, verse seven and eight says this. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within the land that your Lord your God is giving you, You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. So when we see need and you cannot escape it, two things, we shall not harden our heart or shut our hand. We need to have an open heart and an open hand towards those in need. It's not good enough. It's gotta be both, okay? We've gotta actually... You know what? Poverty in Manchester should bother you. It should bother me. It's like, actually, do you know what? I take that personally. I mind. I care. I'm grieved. But it has to move us to do something. That's the difference between compassion that moves. That's what motivated Jesus. Being moved emotionally, but then moved to do something about it. You know, pity, just all oh, that poor them. It doesn't change anything. So this is why we need to have an, we need to have an open heart, and an open hand. It's got to look like something. You have to do something about it, not just feel sorry for people. So it's coming from an internal change that I care, but it's absolutely got a visible out. But apathy, as a response to the poor, is not good enough. Doesn't suit you, put it off. Okay? So we've got those that group of attitudes and behaviours that, in terms of our finances, that because of who we are now, doesn't suit us anymore. So we need to Put off actively, you choose to do that, and then in the middle of the putting off and the putting on, Paul says, Um, that we would be made new in the attitude of our minds, which means I need to change the way I think. He says that in Romans 12, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's not just behavioral change and modification that God's after. It's a transformation on the inside so that actually I think and I act in a way that lines up with my new identity. So I'm actively putting off some stuff, I'm actively putting on some other, but in the middle of it, I am thinking differently. So if you and I have attitudes about God as provider, about money and possessions, about rich people, about poor people, about how the church, like about money. If we have attitudes and ways of thinking that don't line up with what God says, just so you know, we change, not God. He's right, we're wrong, we're the ones who change. And you know, the Greek word for repentance means to change your mind. So you acknowledge that's wrong. And the way I'm thinking about that isn't the way you think about it, God? I'm sorry, I'm going to choose to think a different way. That's what repentance is. That's why we need to understand you know, some of the unhealthy belief systems that we sometimes have about money and maybe the fear that sits underneath some of those things. But repentance means that I change my mind. But it, again, it's not just an internal change, it has to have an out. So, why the Bible says that we, you know, there should be fruit in keeping with repentance. So if you have repented, there's got to be some evidence of that. Things need to start to look and sound different when I'm around you because of that. So on the other side of this being in changing, being made new in the attitude of our minds, is the put off on the one hand, and then there's the put on. So there's stuff that we need to actively put on as God's kids. So again, in the specifically thinking, all right, in the realms of... Finance and wealth and possession. What are those things that I should be actively putting on that are more reflective of my new nature, of the the new identity I have in Jesus? And again, by no means an exhaustive list. Contentment, and I want to unpack that in more detail, but actually being content with what we have, I believe is an active choice you and I can make. Patience. We are not good at that. (laughs) 21st century culture... And, and economic systems do not engender or encourage patience whatsoever. If you want it, we'll have it. You know, buy now, pay later. But that's actually, that's not a kingdom principle. I'm not saying there's, there's, you know, there's anything inherently wrong with interest-free credit or any of those kind of things, but we have to be really careful that we're not getting pulled into the world's way of doing things when actually God's saying, wait. You know, my grandparents' generation, that just wasn't an option. You want a new washing machine, you wait and you save up for it, and then you buy it and you're patient in the meantime, and you learn to be content in the meantime. We, but we can learn, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not an anti-culture person. I love living where I live in the days I live in, but I need to recognise how do I live according to the kingdom, not necessarily defined to what's going on around me. So how can I, as God's kid, learn to be content and patient in, with my finances? Putting on trust. Now, trust isn't just a mental agreement. Trust means I'm actually going to do something. Yeah, The difference between believing and trusting. I can believe in the principle of flight and air. I don't understand it at all, how those things possibly get off the floor. But I can believe theoretically that planes can fly. To trust means I buy a ticket, I get on a plane, I sit down. I actively put myself onto a plane. What does that look like for our finances? I believe God will provide, but I'm not going to tithe because I can't see how that works. Trusting means I'm actively going to do something about it to actively put on trust, put on generosity. Listen, and with all these things, generosity probably particularly, it's not about waiting till we feel like it. I suddenly just come over all generous and I can't help but give all my money away. I don't know if that ever is going to happen. Like I choose, not necessarily because I feel like it, but because I know that's what God's asking me to do. I actively choose to be generous, which isn't a personality trait, it's an action. Being generous means You give something. Yes, this is what that Deuteronomy verse is about. Don't harden your heart, but don't close your hand. Open your hand. What have you got in it, and where should you be giving that? Actively put on generosity and obedience. What is God asking you to do? And being obedient to that. Super simple. It's not always easy, but it's super simple. Gratitude. We can, every single day, I love how Lou led us in worship, remind yourself what he's done count your blessings there's an awful lot of them actively choose to be thankful to put that on and put on truth not what do you feel or what does the world say what does your bank balance say what's God saying that's what the truth is actively put that on and run with that So all of those things, listen, they have to have a practical outlet. It's it's got to look like something. There has to be a point, not just, I believe I should be a generous person. It's like, well, I am a generous person. I give this every month. I sponsor this child. I give to this mission organisation. I give to this charity in Manchester. Whatever that looks like, it's got to have an out. What does that look like in real terms, in pounds and pence? So look at your budget. Look at your bank statement. Like, where are you being generous? Where are you being obedient? Where maybe actually are you being stingy or greedy? Like Look at it. It's got to look like something. I want to pick up really briefly on um, contentment because I'm convinced contentment is a real key, actually for every area of life, but particularly with our finances. Um, I think contentment is a real mark of maturity. Um, but it's, again, it's something we have to choose to put on Let's jump back into um, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, which we've been in and out of a lot. Um, he says, makes this um, profound statement, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me just pause there. There is an awful lot for you and I to gain by choosing to be content, being made godly because of what Jesus has done, but then adding and actively choosing contentment. We will gain an awful lot if we could learn to be content. But he goes on, for we bought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So there is a great gain for you and I in this context of money, to learn to be content. And it's actually, I think if we can learn to be content, it will help us absolutely guard against that love of money. And kind of that, what Paul says, you know, this snare, the temptation that actually pulls people away and they end up piercing themselves with many pangs. Actually, it's worth learning it. Paul also talks in Philippians 4 and he says, I have learned the secret of contentment. I have learned to be content whether I have much or whether I have lack And I love that verse because it implies process, right? I absolutely value and believe for dramatic breakthrough moments, but I also absolutely know and value that much of this Christian life is we walk it out step by step, moment by moment. And so Paul's saying, I have learned as a process what it is to be content. And part of his learning was seasons when he had plenty, but also seasons when he didn't, when he actually lacked. And so I I wanna be careful how I say this because... There is a value there is stuff that God wants to teach us, wants to form in us, wants to develop in us in seasons of lack that is really important, so we need to not despise those seasons um, actually there 's something that he wants he wants to teach us actually when there 's times of of pressure where we kind of you know it teaches us to Be good stewards of what we have. It chews, you know, we have to go back to a budget and say, okay, where do I need to trim things a little bit? It teaches us to trust in God. It forces us to be patient at times. It gives us an amazing opportunity to still be generous, even when we have less. You know, if the widow's might teaches us anything, it's like the amount is so not the thing. It's the heart is I keep giving. She gave out of her poverty. So there's, there's stuff for us to learn in times when there's lack and we can still learn contentment. In fact, we'll learn it in a different way in times when there's lack than we will maybe when there's times when there's plenty. But Paul is saying, listen, contentment, it's an inside job. It hasn't been determined by what's been going on on the outside. And it's, it's interesting to me that in that, that, um, that verse in the end of um, Philippians 4, right next to it is the verse that we all love to have on our cars. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And yes, we can absolutely believe it. I believe everything the Bible says. But listen, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength on the back of having explained how he has learned contentment through seasons of lack and seasons of plenty. So if we want to land in that place of being able to do all things, really knowing the strength of Jesus in us, we have to learn contentment, which means I have to embrace what it is to have times of lack, but absolutely embrace times to have plenty. And I don't fall into self-reliance and pride when I have plenty, but I don't equally fall into... Uh, listen, in those times of lack, while, while I'm saying there's stuff that God wants to teach us, to show us, develop in us in those times, I'm, we definitely need to be really careful we don't fall into, in those seasons, a poverty mindset that is, well, this is all it's ever going to be, and nothing's ever going to change, right? Contentment is not settling, well, this will have to do. It's not. It's maintaining thankfulness, patience, trust in God, learning to be content in the moment with what we have, but expecting that there will be more, expecting there'll be change. It's acknowledging this is where I'm at, but not making a camp and living there. Does that make sense? Contentment and settling are not the same thing, but there's stuff for us to learn. This secret of contentment is so valuable that it's worth embracing those times and learning it. But I think there's this, uh, let me close with this. There's a relationship, I think, between, I don't think the, put off and the put on are completely separate I think they really they really help each other and they really interact so for example I want to learn the secret of being content right whether I have lack whether I have plenty that's it there's great gain for me in being content so on the one hand I'm like I'm going to put on contentment let me say this contentment I'm not going to stay content if I'm not radical about getting rid of envy getting rid of greed if I'm still wearing those things, contentment's just not going to stay. So it's the two go hand in hand. I'm absolutely going after being stingy or being greedy or being apathetic. I'm going to go after those things in order, and I'll be way more able to be content. Make sense? And, and, and it works the other way around as well. So the more I choose to be thankful, the easier it is for me to stay a million miles out of greed. Because I'm like, I'm so thankful for what I've got. I don't know to be hankering after more constantly because I'm so thankful for who God is and what he's given me. So the, they, they relate to one another. you know. And, and I think even some of the... You know, I'm, I think it's very difficult to be content if you've not learned to be thankful first. So if you feel like, I want to learn that secret of contentment, start with being thankful day by day. It's way easier to be content if you've made a disciplined choice to be thankful. And it is that... Folks, it is a disciplined choice and the reason it matters is this putting off and putting on is because you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And God is not apathetic. He's not greedy. He's not jealous. He's not resentful. So we need to put those things off. He's absolutely trustworthy. He's absolutely generous. And so we need to actively put on those things because we're made to be like him. But it involves a change in our thinking. And so... In, in these things, I, I want us to, to take a moment and, and ask the Holy Spirit, all righty, where am I wearing a shell suit? Like, where, have I, where is there stuff that I have got to put off because that stuff just doesn't suit me anymore? For some of us, maybe it's actually, what's the stuff I need to put on? And it's a choice. It's not about waiting until you feel like it. It's about actively choosing it. And so, on the one hand, in you know, all the stuff we're talking about this morning, it's Pretty simple, practical things. It's decisions I make and actions I make to follow that up. But I think they are powerful spiritual print tools as well. I think actually choosing to be generous can absolutely unlock things spiritually for us. I, I believe that. So there's very practical, simple things that we can do, but they're very powerful spiritually. And so we need to ask Holy Spirit, what needs to change? Like, where is my thinking not quite lined up with what God says? Where is what I'm doing? Like, just it's just not that's not who I am anymore. So, what needs to go, and what needs to come? So, ask Holy Spirit. Talk about it. There's no area of your Christian life you're supposed to do on your own. So, talk about it. Sometimes it's a really it's a good way of kind of you know making yourself accountable. And when you say to someone, "Do you know what? I really feel like God's challenged me to do this." When you have said it out your mouth, it's like, okay, let's do this. But talk about it, pray about it, and make a plan. It's where there's, I think there's a few spots left on the money um, course over the next Sunday and the Sunday after in the first service. Like we want to actually have some time and space to have some tools um, using the Christians Against Poverty material. Actually, how can I manage my money? So it's not my money is managing me; I am managing my money. So I, it's very difficult to, uh, you know, I think need, we need to budget, we need to plan, plan it in, think about what does that look like. If God's saying right, I want you to put on generosity, plan it in. You now buy a 20 pound gift card at the beginning of every month when you get paid. Don't wait to the end and if I've got anything left, because usually there isn't anything left. But maybe that would be what it looked like for you. Buy a gift card and then say, Holy Spirit, who's this one for this week? I don't know what it looks like, but I'm saying let's be practical and not just sit back and wait, suddenly Holy Spirit's gonna suddenly transform me. Like, let's get up and let's walk with him into becoming the new creation that he's called us to be. Make sense? Alrighty, why don't you stand? Let's pray for one another.